Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Last week was the funeral of a friend who had been a strong supporter of the Creation Ministries group. And so this is a a group of scientists that write material and promote the scientific evidence for creation. They have a really good website, creation.com. So if you just Google creation.com, they have um, a lot of material there. They answer a lot of questions a lot of uh, resources and my friend had um, uh, been the sort of person that when they, these scientists come and give talks and they, they have their different books and DVDs and things that um, they sell after the talk to you know, cover their expenses, my friend was uh, one of the, the local people that would help set up the books and um, and uh, sort of take the payments, keep the record of the transactions, this sort of thing. But he was a very, very strong supporter of the, um, you know, the so much of the obvious facts that we had to be created. This, the beautiful complexity of life that we see could, you know, not arise by by chance. There was so much evidence for creation. And of course, one of the things, as um, people uh, you know talked about uh, his uh, his death, was the hope that one day we will be re- reunited. We will be reunited when Jesus returns. Now, a couple of days later, I watched a a talk uh, on YouTube where the speaker highlighted that, that one of the major misconceptions that has been promulgated within the uh, Christian uh, faith and which really blasphemes God. It it sort of paints the the wrong picture of God. The opposite picture of God is that when people die, people who um, haven't accepted Jesus' Savior, bad people, for example, um, are going to be punished forever um, in a in a hell, they're going to suffer torment forever in hell, and this paints a horrible picture of of God. And of course, the biblical picture is not like that. The biblical picture is that that God is um, is love, and it's interesting. The if we just look at a just a, a couple of verses there, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, and when we die in verse uh, 7, he talks about the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And he's talking about uh, death. Um, well, and I, perhaps I could uh, um, read the, um, the full verses from verse 5. They are afraid also of what is on high and the terrors are on the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is broken at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Or as we read in Genesis 2, 7, that spirit is a breath of God. So we, And we know that this is what happens. Uh, when we die, 
the elements that compose us break down and uh, we become just the atoms and molecules that made us up. But what is it that made us alive, that that breath? And it's one of the fascinating unsolved problems of science is that how is long-term memory stored on the biological substrate of our brain which is undergoing constant turnover. So we, you know, we talk about brain cells and this sort of thing. Well, our brain is turning over all the time and there's new construction. How is long-term memory then preserved on a substrate that is changing, that is not fixed? So... If we store something on a USB stick or on a CD, that's a fixed substrate. And so we have that memory that is preserved there on that fixed substrate. But how um, does memory preserved on a living, constantly changing biological substrate? And, of course, this is one of the problems that, that science um, you know, uh, doesn't uh, solve. But, of course... Um, Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, as uh, John uh, comments, um, Therefore God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So it doesn't say uh, that they should just, um, you know, be tortured forever, but it's that they shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And I think this is a very, very important point because it seems that from uh, talking to people and talking to people about their friends and people that uh, don't want to accept um, uh, uh, God because of this picture of God as someone, well, if you don't believe in me, I'm going to sort of torture you forever. This is such a false picture of God. As John points out, God is a God that loves us so much that he died that everyone could have forgiveness for whatever they've done. They can turn to God. We, it, we have never passed the point that we can't come to God and get uh, you know, forgiveness. And this is such an important image. Um, and it goes on there that those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is such a, uh, an important message. And the other thing is we're thinking about uh, my friend and as we're described there, as, as John uh, writes again, as Jesus points out at the resurrection of uh, Lazarus, he was, uh, that we read about in John chapter 11, we see that Jesus spoke, uh, in reading in verse 11 of John 11, Thus he, that's Jesus, spoke, and he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And that's the important, another very important thing, I think, that, talk, that we talk about in terms of this, um, the, the problem of death and so forth, is that 
As Jesus described it, it is asleep. And one of the reasons for that is that one day we are going to be reconstituted. We're, we're going to have a, a body, but not a body that is going to break down like this body that is now um, suffers decay as a result of sin. And so the Bible tells us that originally we were designed, of course, to, to live for, forever in a, in a perfect environment. But when evil came in, it disrupted the perfection that God had originally created. That's what evil does. Evil disrupts perfection. Evil disrupts the good things. And remember in creation, God said everything that was made was good. But when evil came in, evil disrupted that uh, the, the perfection of good things. And, of course, when things aren't perfect, they go wrong and we have the breakdown. And that's why our bodies break down now and that's why we eventually die. Um, today. But God is going to remake us. And how do we know it's us? Well, it's us because who we are is our thoughts. Now, when we go to sleep, and I have been blessed in that I sleep uh, really, really well um, at the moment, at least, but I, and I have up till now. Um, so I, you know, go to sleep and I usually fall asleep quite quickly and then I wake up, ah, oh, it's morning. Now, in that meantime, we don't know anything. Our, um, we, just, we just don't know anything. We've, we've fallen asleep and we wake up. And, of course, some of us have had that effect too, uh, going for an operation. We're chained to the, the surgeon there. He's explaining what's going to happen. And um, we're sort of um, you know, just thinking about this, maybe looking around. Then the next thing we know, we're waking up. You know? uh, and the operation's over. Um, thankfully. And so this whole concept that we can be unconscious, not knowing anything, but then our brain is woken up again and our conscious thoughts start again. And as I said, this long-term memory effect, you know, scientists still don't know how this can be stored on, on a biological substrate that is constantly changing and but we know that our thoughts are who we are and we know also that our thoughts or our memory are non-material things it's non-material we can't weigh our thoughts we can't measure the volume of our thoughts sure we measure the weight of our brain the volume of our brain but we can't measure the weight and volume of our thoughts our thoughts are non-material but our thoughts are who we are and so this is, you know, preserved with, uh, with God. And essentially that is what um, it's saying. The spirit there, the breath of God, um, returns uh, to God. So it's stored with, with God. And the beauty is that uh, the Bible, um, you know, teaches us uh, quite... Um, Clearly, as we read in uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9 as well. I'll just uh, open that up in my uh, Bible here. There's, a, again, a really encouraging word. Um, and this is where Paul, uh, summarizing salvation and, 
He's writing um, uh, here and he says, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, in other words, believe that he is really God and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so it's uh, essentially accepting that God who made us is Lord and we need to um, follow his moral code. God has set out a code that leads to happiness in life. We call it the, the Ten Commandments God set out. They're just ten simple rules uh, that are sent out there that really define morality and, and happiness. And also God talked about love, and, and love is, I guess, the opposite to selfishness. Love is, is thinking for others, and that's why Jesus taught, you know, this is the commandment that I give you, love one another, do unto others as you would have them do unto you these sort of things. And we know that this this really works. But of course, there are people, I guess, that choose not to go that way. They, And we, we know there are, there are people and they, they seem to be just evil, very evil. And God says that one day there will be a, in the Bible we read, one day there will be a judgment where these people face God and realize, well, hang on, God was real. Um, they did have an opportunity to, to choose God, but they rejected it. But then they are mercifully um, destroyed. In other words, their memory is wiped out and they are no more. They don't suffer forever because God is a God of love. But he has to eliminate evil. You can't have evil and good together, in my view anyway. It logically just doesn't uh, seem to, to fit. And I guess another reason why people have uh, rejected um, God or, or don't want to know about religion, uh, so there's one reason if, if God is someone that, you know, is going to torture people or, or you know, and uh, little children or something like that uh, forever that, you know, I don't want to be part of that God. And as I've just explained, well, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love. true, And that's the real picture of God. God doesn't do that, and that's not part of the plan. But the other aspect of it is that, well, hang on, we've explored the universe, we've, you know, we know all these huge, big galaxy area out there, and nobody has found God. We haven't, we've explored out in space, we we haven't found God, and that science now can explain everything away. Well, of course, there are massive areas now that science just can't explain. Matter of fact, as we go more into scientific research in so many fields, whether it be um, the looking at the structure of the atom that makes up the elements that make up us when we look at that, that structure, when we look at the uh, space and physics of the universe or whether we look at nature, we just find so many areas that we just can't understand. Science is far from solving the, the problems. And I talked about you know one just moments ago, how is long-term memory stored on something that varies, a biological system that varies? Um, another one that um, you know, we you know, take for granted and see happen all around us is that how do animals sense the Earth's magnetic field and, and navigate? You know, for example, migratory birds. Um, and even, you know, the, um, 
the butterflies um, that migrate from um, you know North America, Canada, and so forth down to Mexico, and they can be blown off course and so forth, realign themselves, and all end up in the one particular uh, spot um, in Mexico. You know, hundred kilometres or two hundred kilometres. I forget the distance now northwest of Mexico City there, the monarch butterflies, an amazing and not only endurance feat but navigation feat because these butterflies, as I said, they can be a storm, blow them right off course, they can be blown out to sea in the Gulf of Mexico, they cross the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, they're, you know, it's just ocean out there. It's not as if there's familiar landmarks, you know, they're flying down. Ah, you know, I remember that tree. But the other fascinating thing, of course, with the monarch is that those butterflies that are migrating all to that place they've never been there before um it might have been where their grandparents were and they're the second generation and now they're flying and navigating to where their grandparents came from this amazing sense scientists you know just can't explain this how do little baby spiders know how to spear you know spin webs that are the same match. There are so many things. Uh, you know, another another example would be cuckoos that are raised by other birds. So they're not even raised by their parents. So the European cuckoo, for example, can fly from Europe to South Africa. Once it grows up, it flies. How does it know where to go? And not only know where to go, but be able to navigate down there. Um these, uh, you know, problems in biophysics. Another one that even, you know, we birth is such an amazing process. We see the birth of a little baby and or animal, a little our cat might have kittens or, or whatever. And as that little animal grows, it grows so far. And, of course, we know that our bodies our, are governed by genes. And these are little pieces of code. Um, stored as the DNA codes, make up the total DNA code, uh, that stores the function and operation. But as something is growing and developing, different organs and parts have to phase in and switch on at different times. You know, we just think of reproduction. Puberty switches on at a particular time. And hair growth can switch on at a particular time development of different organs and parts of our body at just the right time. But yet it's real and but this control is really tightly regulated. How? Why? These are because here we have a code. It's a biological code, but it's just made up of atoms that are dead. And these atoms have a particular pattern and we, we know they're represented by the, we call it, summarise them, the letters A, C, T and G, which are the abbreviations of the first letter of the compounds, chemical name for the compounds, how combinations of these four chemical compounds can determine and control all this function. And yet there's a time function there as well. Um, as we mature... Most animals mature insects at a certain time, after a certain time phrase, as, as time is passing on. Another one is um, how 
does the immune, how is the immune system formed? So the immune system has this unique ability to recognise foreign baddies getting into our body. How does it do this? How did it know that they were bad and they were meant to be destroyed and yet other things that make up good foods such as, you know, our nutrients such as vitamins and minerals and, you know, good compounds like polyphenols and and these sort of things, these components in food that deliver health, that they're not, you know, attacked and destroyed, but other things are. And yet we know that bacteria are, you know, um, for example, are an important part of our uh, digestive system and, and take uh, parts of the food and convert them into forms that make them more usable for our uh, for our, our own nutrition and health. But yet there's other baddie bacteria. Now the immune system seems to have the ability again to recognise a lot of the bad bacteria and, and eliminate them as well. So how does it know these things? How How did that form and how is it regulated? Again, these are questions that science can't um, answer. Everywhere we look, there are are these questions. Science has far from solved the the problems to explain who we are. And all the time it points to an amazing designer that set up a system that works. And this is an important part. When we look at design, you know, we, we can design lots of things. And I, I know as a boy I used to, you know, design different machines and this sort of thing and draw them up. But it's a different matter to whether or not that machine works. Now, you know, I, I've worked with engineers and engineers that build machines, new machines that, that carry out new processes that haven't ever been done before. So we're the team are designing totally new machines to do totally new jobs. Now, these machines are drawn up on the basis of knowledge and science and the, the stresses and the forces and the movements involved in the machines, this sort of thing. Uh, engineering draftsperson draw up the design of the machine and it it will have the specifications for the type of metal, the thicknesses of the bolts and this sort of thing to withstand the different pressures or momentum of the movement and so forth. And this then goes to the workshop uh, where there are skilled uh, tradesmen who build the components, machine the steel, uh, put in the correct tension bolts and bearings and bushes and, and so forth to build the uh, machines and they chew and different materials are specified, particular grades of stainless steel or, or whatever it might be. But then they find, well, hang on, it doesn't quite run smoother. We have to actually modify this to make it work better. Well, we didn't, we didn't think that we forgot that that was going to happen when we did this. And so what they do is we, we build prototypes and we find, whoa, that can be improved. Whoa, that didn't work quite well there. Yes, we missed that point. It takes a lot of design and a lot of prototypes usually to get the machine that then runs really fine-tuned, really smoothly and doesn't break down and also is durable. So we've had machines where we've built a machine, 
but the pressure and forces with which the machine was under, after a while it began to develop cracks and fail. And so all these aspects have to be taken into account. And when we look at the structures in nature, particularly in the human body, we find that so much of this, these machines, they work. They're just right. Everything is just the right thickness. Everything is just the right size. So again, everywhere we look, we find um, aspect. And as you know, people have looked out into outer space and said, well, we haven't found God. Well, there's um, you know, very interesting things when we you know, look way out into, into space there. It just you know, keeps on going. People look, well, you know, we've got the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory can explain things. Well, there's you know, a whole lot of issues with um, aspects regarding the Big Bang Theory. For example, there's the lithium problem. Now, lithium's one of the lightest metals. Why is there a discrepancy between the amount of lithium-7 predicted to be produced by the Big Bang nuclear synthesis and the amount that we actually observe in the stars? There's lots of um, you know, things uh, like this. The other thing is when we look at the micro, uh, background microwave radiation, we find that, whoa, hang on, out there, um, we find there's these structures that... Uh, present large scale um, anisotropy. In other words, these are large scale structures way out in the sky that the Big Bang theory predicts shouldn't be there, but they're there, these structures. And I think I've talked about these uh, before. Uh, there's optical polarisation from quasars that show this polarisation is aligned over a very large scale. Um, there's a whole lot of observations that we observe out there that just don't fit the Big Bang Theory. But they fit a creator God that made an amazing universe system that works. And this is the important point. We, the Bible describes this God and it works. What, what the Bible describes about God fits not only what we observe in nature, but what we observe in in humanity, we observe this huge conflict between good and evil. We observe that evil is trying to malign the name of God and paint a picture of God that is not true. The true picture of God is that God is a loving, merciful, forgiving God that is calling and wants everyone to come to know him and see, find him and find out about his love. That's why... It is so important to read the Bible and discover this amazing, loving God. Remember, if you want to listen to this program or other programs in the series, just uh, Google to go to your search engine and look for 3ABN Australia or one word, .org.au and click on the listen button. And also there are uh, wonderful television programs there as well. Uh, to click on the, the watch program. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 